1: Welcome to this episode of the Family Business Voice. We bring you a discussion on the COVID-19 pandemic. How family businesses are affected, what they're doing about it, and where this unprecedented disruption is taking us next. Joining us is Alfredo De Massis, an organization and management scientist who specializes in family enterprise. Alfredo is a professor of entrepreneurship and family business at Free University of Bolzano in Italy, and Lancaster University Management School in the UK. He is based in Italy, the most affected country so far after China. We're also joined by my sister, Farida Alagami, General Manager of the Ferawat Family Business Forum, an attorney at law. Farida works closely with businesses all over the Middle East and North Africa, facilitating understanding within families and between regions and people. She's been on the ground this week, working with family businesses to ideate and enact strategic ways to deal with this disruption as it unfolds. Our intention is that this episode gives you some actionable insights as we move through this pandemic together. Stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned for more in the days to come.
2: This is an extraordinary situation, really, aside from it being a Huge pleasure, Alfredo, having you with us on the Family Business Voice.
3: And you (laughs) too, Frida.
2: So Alfredo from Bolzano, Italy. Frida from uh, Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Thank God for these kinds of technologies, especially today. We are very grateful that it's possible to all connect together in these very trying times. It is an extraordinary situation. And we are very fortunate that you both have taken out the time to talk to us about what uh covid-19 the corona pandemic means for family businesses so aside from of course like you know us all being kind of um trying to deal with the situation with more or less common sense i think it would be really uh, beneficial for us to hear from uh, both of you from a geographical perspective how the situation is currently feeling at your end maybe alfredo you can tell us give us a little bit of an update for you from italy of course which we understand uh, has been suffering for a very long time now Uh, Already, from the seriousness of the situation, give us a bit of an update, maybe, on how you are perceiving the current situation of this pandemic and what it's caused.
0: Yes, well, the situation is uh, quite dramatic because we are uh, Italy is the second hit country in the world after China. We have as of today thirty five thousand and seven hundred people who got infected with this. And we are having lots of people passing away every day because of this disease. Yesterday, almost 500 people passed away just because of COVID-19. So the situation is very serious. The country, as uh, most uh, of uh, you already know, has been locked in completely. Most of the businesses have been shut down. Uh, So we are really in in an emergency situation. And we have not yet reached the peak of the curve.
2: So quite a dramatic uh, situation for you there out in Italy. Not surprising, as you said. We know it's been hit the fastest and the soonest after China. Frida, at your end in Dubai, what is the situation like? What is the feeling? What is the sentiment in the market? And how are people reacting?
3: Well, of course, it's uh, like everywhere else. Uh, There is a lot of insecurity. There is a lot of confusion about what this means. I have to say that we are very grateful for the response of the government so far. Here, I feel that they are taking proportionate measures. The infection rate here is still relatively mild, I would say, but uh, I have to say that the government is reacting in a very strategic, very structured, very organized way, uh, which I think is the only way you can respond Mm. to this situation. They have closed down schools. Uh, We have most public spaces where big gatherings are possible are also closed or not accessible. And I do feel we are inching towards perhaps not a complete lockdown, but certainly to a more kind of strict social distancing uh, situation. Many companies are practicing social distancing. So a lot of people have now, uh, and you can notice with the traffic, that uh, they work from home. This morning I was speaking to a local businessman and he has um, a couple of businesses and one of his businesses is is in the laundry the laundry business. And he said uh, his numbers are 50% down and the category are suits. So there's no more suits <laughs> to be cleaned because people are not going to the office. You know, and it's also as a person, like you, you notice the change in the air. There's a different atmosphere. People live differently. People mm-hmm. react differently. You go to the supermarket. I have to say the supermarkets, most supermarkets are still quite well stocked. So I feel the frenzy buying or the panic buying has not really happened here that much, maybe in smaller locations, but not in the main supermarkets. But, you know, you notice when, when you go to the supermarket, people are very wary of getting in each other's way. So I would say that just to describe the overall hesitance to be out in the open, uh, which then obviously also translates to the business community very much. It's interesting.
2: You both um, mentioned also the reactions of the public, etc. And Frida, you in particular also mentioned the reaction of the government. And so, for for us here, we're based now. in We're currently in Switzerland, where the state of emergency has just been declared. Uh, the country is officially going into lockdown, and uh, people are asked, and even it's being enforced by law to self isolate now, which has clearly shifted the atmosphere for us here. Uh, shifted the perspective but so there's the reaction of the individual person and society there's the reaction of government which in some countries we are more fortunate than in others when it comes mm-hmm. to that kind of uh, competence there's the infrastructure of healthcare that matters here a lot but then there's also the side of how this impacts the private sector and how the private sector has reacted so maybe to start from from the positive perspective here as well like i feel like i have seen Over the last few weeks, some businesses react in the most extraordinarily generous fashion. Mm. And I think this bears mentioning, for instance, I have seen, I know that LVMH has stopped perfume production and dedicated the resources to creating hand sanitizer, for instance. Do you guys have any other examples that I think, I think it's worth mentioning these businesses here as well, because I think they're making an extraordinary contribution to a very complicated situation. Alfredo, Anyone come to mind in particular that stands out to
0: you? Yes, absolutely. Here as well, I mean, family businesses have reacted, I would say, quickly, strongly, and in a very altruistic way, as it's one of the typical features. So, for example, you know, Berlusconi, you know, he donated the 10 million euros in order to some hospitals to create some uh, intensive care units. Mm. The same did Caprotti, he is the leader the family leader of Esselunga, who is a, a retail supermarket chain. And there are many others like this. Not mm-hmm. only that, other companies, and I speak, for example, of some family firms here in the territory, uh, transformed their production. For example, here, mm-hmm. Oberal and Saleva, which is a company led by the Oberauk family and working in the production of technical clothes for sports. They changed their production They converted their production and now they are producing facial masks and protection suites. So this is a way to which they are helping, you know, to face this this important need where Italy is suffering particularly from that need because... uh, we actually don't have an uh, internal uh, national provider, so we really rely on outside producers. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, this uh, pandemic has disrupted the global uh, the supply chain, the global chains, and mm-hmm. so everything is more complicated. Overall, I would say that uh, if we look overall at the economy and at and the, and the society even more at large, this pandemic, this crisis, has forced us, has forced the society to make a big jump uh, forward into the future. Because I think it has accelerated many processes. It has speeded up many processes, many change processes that were ongoing. And now we have to do this uh, all of a sudden in just a few weeks. Absolutely. So, you know, for example, uh, I think it was mentioned before uh, Farida, the smart working possibilities. Here, many companies, many universities have uh, gone to have moved it to smart working. Smart working before, we were thinking about uh, allowing this only to a small proportion of employees, and we were planning and thinking how could we do that. Now, most of the people do this, and it's mm-hmm. working very well, I would say, because uh, most of those companies that were able to embrace this uh, to digitalize in some way their business model have been very very effective in doing that. Yeah. Another important thing is that this uh, pandemic is my view has also led people to rediscover the power and potential of technologies so or related to this, but also to um, it has changed in some way also our perception of uh, consumer behaviors because of course now for example you know people don't buy anymore they don't go anymore to restaurants they are scared of going to and buy food in shops. And so most of these companies have changed their model and now they do home delivery. And of course, it changes dramatically also the way we do social interactions. Mm-hmm. As Farida mentioned, now people are really uh, scared about uh, you know uh, getting too close to each other. And this has uh, uh, induced several changes also in the way you interact with uh, many stakeholders that you have in your business organization. So overall, I think there has been a cultural switch, and this cultural switch is disrupting and will continue to disrupt many industries and many jobs and professions. And I think these jobs, professions, and industry will have to evolve necessarily in order to be consistent with this new context. Otherwise, they will be out. So, those who won't be able to adapt to the new context will inevitably suffer and have big losses. But on the other hand, I also think that uh, this has opened some, uh, some new opportunities. And probably when we will uh, win the war against this virus, probably we will be in a better and more innovative world.
3: I fully agree with you that, in a way, the ingenuity of business people is now going to lie with those that can, at the same time, crisis manage, risk manage, mm-hmm. and innovate. And I think if you somehow get those three elements, aspects in, in mm-hmm. the right sequence and in the right space in your business, that's when you might get out of this uh, as, a, as a stronger business. I've seen kind of a split between businesses that definitely are hitting a wall already now, probably quite early because we don't know how long this is going to go. So if you hit a wall now, you do have a big problem. And then there are others who perhaps were more conservative in how they manage their resources, have a possibility to pivot quickly. And those are capable of taking those, let's say, more altruistic emergency measures, such as not to lay people off. I mean, you know, you see in the region, in the wider region, you already see jobs being reduced. So there is that wave is coming. But then you see family businesses, as you described beforehand. Kind of trying to be as responsible as they always were because they see themselves as part of an ecosystem, and that that ecosystem is will have a long term life after the virus. You're both raising such important
2: points, and just if if I may, just like latch onto a few of the things that you've mentioned. Of course, uh, very important points raised by Alfredo here about like the manifestation of the huge dependency on certain supply chain models that is being made evident here, which we should really talk about a little bit more and what that also means for future scenarios, forced innovation, forced culture changes for the better, indubitably, but also very painful, hard and costly for a lot of businesses, of course. And and Frida, as you very, I think, uh, accurately pointed out now towards the end, also probably a change or a modification that will not be able to be made by all. But what I'd like to introduce here before we continue along this line of discussion is The likelihood of this happening. So it feels like there's this whole discussion about like, a lot of people seem to be very surprised and seem to be very sort of like taken aback by the fact that we've caused this pandemic. And I'm saying we've caused because I think there's a very clear link between the way, you know, capitalism and the world is functioning and us us creating these kinds of situations. So this link between us having this short-term oriented capitalism that's caused to this kind of exploitation culture, that's caused to this virus coming out, that's caused this pandemic that is now causing businesses to shut down. I just wanted to talk to you guys about where do you see the positioning here or the advantage here of the family business approach to these things? Because technically we're supposed to bring in, and I'm saying we here, Frida, because I do, uh, you know, (laughs) besides obviously we are related. Uh, We are uh, are distantly related. Um, So I think that it's very important here to also emphasize, Like, so is this the ultimate proof that family business and long-term orientation, long-term capitalism orientation that family businesses have manifested for generations is in fact a healthier approach and could potentially help us prevent these kinds of very possible scenarios like we've had this pandemic. Because in essence, if you look at the causality and the factors that have caused this, It should not have come as a surprise. It was literally a matter of time. So maybe, Alfredo, how would you respond to that sort of like uh, reflection?
0: I absolutely believe that family business can play a very important role. As you said, these kind of businesses are driven by long-term goals, are driven by very strong values. And uh, also the facts, I mean, of these days, how they are reacting shows that they are playing a key role towards a better society. So as Farid has already mentioned, you know, I saw many family businesses making a big, putting a of effort into social innovation. I mean, Saleva and Oberalp, the company I just mentioned, was just a great example of doing that. So using mm-hmm. their core value in order to embrace more social innovation. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Another example is, you know, I've seen other family firms that during this crisis, during this emergency situation, have revised substantially the functioning of their governance. So this means that they have been very, very smart and proactive in, uh, you know, uh, uh, redesigning the coordination between, for example, the board, the family and the top management team, uh, uh, reflecting on what risks need to be managed beyond, you know, the liquidity risk, the operation and portfolio exposure risk that are, of course, something the borders to deal with, or the supply chain disruption risk that are risks that the business should deal with, but also thinking more broadly about the stress and anxiety of their people, the vulnerability of family members, and so have improved their governance. And finally, another thing that has been mentioned by Farida al- uh, already is that I've also seen a number of family firms who have activated uh, some crisis management unit, and have released, making big efforts, uh, have released emergency resources. You know, oftentimes taking from the wealth of the family these resources. Yeah, exactly. And the most uh, visionary ones have also communicated uh, both internally and externally you know, the new scenario, the new situation. I mean, of course, when you activate a crisis management unit in a family firms, this means that you are ready to adjust the staffing models because probably pre-crisis staffing models don't work anymore.
2: You know, Alfredo, it's very interesting. Like before you talked about like, you know, almost forced innovation or like, let's put it this way, almost like Corona, the pandemic, yeah. Giving an excuse to finally implement the things that we've been, like you know, talking about or beating about the bush about, like for a long time. But there's also an element of like generational change. It's almost like forced succession to a certain yeah. extent as well, right? Like, so you will have people in the family business now that will be better or worse equipped to deal with this. That will be better or worse equipped to deal with the digital workspace, etc. Remote working, etc. I'm not making it an ageist thing because I also know that there are a lot of people older than us that actually have adapted to this very well and like are actually leading the effort in their own businesses but Farida, from from your perspective what I'd be interested in talking about as well because especially if we want to take the situation as lessons learned right like mm-hmm. so especially if we all we're all I think trying to like focus on the positive here and hoping that humanity will gain some sort of insight from this and and we move onwards with better practices a, a better economy etc but Farida when you look around you right now and you look at the family businesses that are struggling what do you feel are sort of like the the kinds of practices or the kinds of like um you know the the kinds of gaps that you think those family businesses have before this pandemic that is now actually causing you know really a serious problem for them like you know if you look at like you know what are the factors that are now contributing that obviously made them weak before but probably now are being exacerbated by this very particular situation. Can you please maybe talk to us a little bit more about that?
3: Well, I think that's a very interesting question. You know, we we, we talk a lot about governance when when the sun shines, right? We tell family businesses that they need all sorts of systems and structures and uh, we send them to conferences and we try to convince people. I was interviewing a family business yesterday on their crisis response, uh, and it's a Lebanese family business. And of course, Lebanon has been going through regular crises, but also especially over the last six months already been in a, in a deep economic crisis. And uh, we were kind of philosophizing together about what this situation will show about governance, its implementation and its efficiency uh, or its efficacy. I have a feeling that if we are very honest with ourselves, we have to admit that a lot of the governance systems that we implement when the sun is shining are mainly paperwork. Uh, They do not truly change our behavior. They do not truly change our mindsets. Uh, They do not truly discuss what drives us and why. And when you come to a crisis situation like this, I think these are the key questions, right? Do I have the mindset to push, tear, pull this family business through this situation? Am I driven enough to do this? Because as family business owners, this is taking a physical toll. And here, I'm not just talking about the small businesses, by the way. Any business of any size right now that has a clearly identifiable owner or owners, or that is multi-generational, anyone involved, whether they are shareholders or not, are almost physically affected by how this is affecting their business. The way I see it is that, actually, maybe six months or one year from now, I think we need to draw very, very serious lessons about what we try family businesses to implement with regards to government. Mm -hmm. This is a huge test, and it's it's a global test. And I think this is what we have never seen before. Before, there were pockets of crises. And we could kind of philosophize about, well, maybe they were not well equipped or not well prepared, and this is why this happened. Now, we are in the same situation across the, the the globe. So I believe that the analysis post this crisis will be essential for us to build governance structures. And I'm saying governance in the broadest sense, by the way, not just kind of our classical systems, but... Decision making. How do I structure decision making? What means efficient decision making? Just This is a universal question, which I think looking back on this crisis, we will see, you know, was it worth it to spend this money on a governance structure if then I didn't implement it? Because now I have nothing that works.
0: If I can build a little bit more, I totally agree with Farida's point. Uh, The one, for example, she made about the governance and the gap existing between having something on paper and having something truly functioning. Indeed, uh, actually, one or two, one year ago, two years ago, I published a study based on a large sample of family firms from Spain published in the Journal of Business Venturing, which is one of the leading journals in entrepreneurship, where we show with data that there is a big difference in a family as a means between having a rubber stamping board and having a truly functioning one. We show that the most companies, most family firms have a board, but because in many cases and in many countries, just because they have to comply, they need to have a board. Exactly. But only if you really work on the functioning, you have the desired effect. And we show this mm. with data. We show that without a truly functioning board, that board doesn't bring any benefit. So I think this crisis probably is an opportunity to close this to uh, narrow this uh, this this gap.
2: I think from my end as well like just to add to both of your perspectives here and I think you both have touched on very key things like you do see the price of dysfunctional decision making today. Frida, I agree with you 100% you as well Alfredo. Governance structures that are just for show are now obviously well they never worked but they now definitely aren't working in this situation and decision making today is anyway such a such an interesting matter so over the recent two years i've given a lot of presentations on how big data and artificial intelligence how they influence decision making in family businesses but also just in general in the way that we run our businesses and what i think this pandemic which from our perspective as a media company has of course been extremely interesting to observe from a content perspective. So yes. how, people, how people gain information, how people create their opinions, how you know fake news still plays a huge role in our society as well. I think what's fascinated me the most is to see what a big difference we now have between businesses that already know how to take data into account when making decisions and those that don't. I feel like there's a huge discrepancy there because so many businesses are still struggling and we're struggling before this pandemic in understanding how much data is at their disposal and how that data needs to be integrated into their decision-making. Yeah. Family businesses have always been praised for their gut feeling for business. Just mm-hmm. There's this romanticized entrepreneurship flair that we really associate with family businesses. But the fact of the matter is, in a, in a world that is ruled by data, you know, the most successful companies, in my view, of the future will be the ones who are extremely understanding of that data and who can combine it with that entrepreneurial instinct and uh, with what is actual fact and happening in the market and know how to read this data. And I think the inability of reading data, the inability of understanding it at a profound level is also causing a lot of the panic that we're seeing here in the stock markets, in the businesses, et cetera there are huge misunderstandings being blown out of proportion because people don't know what the numbers mean, but also people don't know why they're seeing the information that they're seeing. So, Mm -hmm. so few people actually know how the algorithms behind their news feeds work, their social media works, et cetera. And in this kind of a situation, that has a huge influence, of course, on leadership decisions uh, in businesses it has a huge influence on your employee sentiments how panicked they feel or how calm they feel about the situation so i feel like for me that is another thing that brings to the fore i think a gap that we've been dealing with for a while now that technology is developing at a very fast pace and business owners are failing to a great extent to Mm -hmm. integrate this into their decision making so i'm not talking adoption i'm just even just talking awareness
0: of what
2: is actually available to them. So without even saying you have to do it, you have to do it, but just to understand the concepts of big data. So I think that for me is like another maybe important factor here to say that this is definitely a high price to pay today with this current situation.
0: Yes, I mean, big data will allow family firm leaders to to take, to make more uh, uh, mindful decisions. Yes. And uh, I think a family firm leader should be Should be drawing on such data should be also preparing themselves for such crisis to last longer than we believe i think this is a good exercise we know that i mean probably we will end up in a few months but my suggestion my advice to family business leader would be think about reason in terms of scenario and think about you know this crisis lasting longer than we believe without panicking and constantly adapting as the pandemic evolves and as the numbers and the statistics and the data will be changing. Because after all, uh, this is one thing, this is for sure. None in the world knows very well this kind of virus. And so all the data are, uh, are evolving constantly. And so family business leaders should be constantly adapting.
3: What I wanted to add to this uh, point is just one simple, one simple remark. This is true evidence that we are dealing with a global economy. We've been talking about globalization in all its forms, aspects, positives, negatives, um, results. But I do feel, perhaps naively, but I do feel that this is for the large part of society, the first true manifestation of the effects that something can have on a global economy. And when you talk about data and when you talk about decision-making, what family firms have to realize is that even though they might be either local or regional in nature, they are truly global. They they are Mm -hmm. part of a global system. Everything that affects the system will affect them eventually, which is very difficult, right? If you function traditionally by nature, on a local level or in the regional level, there is so much complexity to take into account in your Mm decision-making that you cannot anymore rely on only business instinct, on only human advice, because there are just too many factors that are going to ultimately affect. It's kind of the modern version of the butterfly effect, right? You do not see where that butterfly flaps its wing and the chain of reaction that will impact your business. And I believe this is just to tie both of your arguments together, is that both decision-making structure and the information that it's based on needs to be revisited if family businesses want to continue on their journey of longevity and continuity. Mm -hmm. I think for me, one of the,
2: maybe also like as a sort of like a final part of our conversation, I would like to talk about culture. Uh, Culture at a you know national continental level at another company level and how culture what the role is of culture and culture agility in these kinds of situations so let me explain to you a little bit more about what I'm thinking of here so Frida has mentioned before and Alfredo has actually also mentioned a few aspects too specific to Italian culture which make this a particularly challenging situation Mm -hmm. for you um but Frida you've also mentioned of course that we have a lot of parts of the world where family businesses have been operating under extraordinary circumstances, anyways. Yes, yes. So, we know a lot of family businesses that we've interviewed in the past that are part of our networks that are in war zones and are operating, that are, you know, uh, faced with natural disasters, uh, hugely uh, affected by climate change, and are operating. And it's very special to see now, of course, also the reactions of the culture in Europe to this Europe having been spared by so many other things for a very long time. And you can tell like the crisis response varies greatly between those countries where I I don't want to talk about resiliency because I think resiliency is something that extremely varies from family to family. And it's not necessarily just a product of the circumstance, but it is fascinating how culture at every level here makes a huge difference as well in terms of like how the relativity of the situation is perceived and like you know how people consider it a reason to change or as you said also afraid to move forward and maybe here uh frida maybe just to start with the middle east as well because it being such a particularly interesting region in that of course a lot of people don't know much about our region uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings around it but one thing is for sure in the last particular last 15 years the Middle East has gone through extraordinary challenges. Every single country has gone through extraordinary challenges, be they economic, social, political, almost always. Farida, do you think that a certain level of adversity has trained these family businesses now to respond better? Or like, are they ready, or do you think, in terms of their culture? Or do you think on the opposite as you said before, your argument was, no, they've stuck to tradition in order to create stability in unstable times? And this is now going to be to their detriment. And same question to you, Alfredo. Here in Europe, are we faced with a culture that has become complacent in the face of real crises? Like, you know, are we, have we become incapable of understanding that something like this can happen to us? Which is, by the way, a reaction that I see in Switzerland a lot. So um, to, to both of you, this question, maybe Frida, you can talk to us a little bit more about what you see in that respect.
3: I mean, I think it's a it's a very complex question because unfortunately in the region we do not have data. It's basically with regards to research and information about family businesses, it's kind of a black hole. So I can only speak kind of from an observational perspective. In my opinion, there are two main ways that I can currently think of that family firms in this region have reacted to crises. The first one is opportunistic. So family firms are ultimately business people, uh, made up of business people. Business people react to context. And if the context is such that they see an opportunity, they will take it. It will be very ad hoc. It might be very successful. They might make a lot of money in the short term. They might even sustain it for a while. Did they build sustainable structures around those opportunities? Perhaps not. The other one is family firms that go through a crisis with open eyes and may take advantage of the opportunities that it presents, but actually do their homework. So they deep dive into what this crisis means for the company. They will review structures, systems, procedures. They'll constantly try to adapt. And in good times, they'll be either all over diversification Or they'll um, look at building agility, building resiliency at any possible moment. So you also become used to. This is something that I'm quite impressed with, actually. Humans seem to become used to certain types of crises, and they have a certain crisis response mode. And what I see now is that because the crisis is so different, you know, to the ones that we are typically used to in the Middle East, a lot of people are scrambling. To know what to do so their typical crisis response reactions are not valid Mm -hmm. or they might be but they have never been tested in this context so i think there's a lot to be learned from middle eastern from any business really that operates in a complex environment this could be latin america or asia or wherever africa if you work in a volatile market and you are successful then likelihood is that, that you have resiliency that other people don't have. The question is then, what do you do with that? What do you do with that asset? Do you perpetuate it? Do you build on it? Do you incorporate it into a culture make it into something that can sustain? I think that's the big question.
0: Well, in Europe, I think that the predominant cultural attitude has been the attitude of, uh, in the face of a threat, just minimizing the threat at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just saying, okay, it's just a flu. <laughs> I mean, many countries have been doing that, of course, with some variety among different countries. And this resulted in a delay in the actions that, in my view, also, unfortunately, results in many more people uh, affected by this. So this is uh, a big, uh, uh, important issue. I totally agree that uh, culture has uh, a strong, uh, important value in such crises like this. I said before that uh, this crisis, in my view, has uh, has generated a cultural switch in people among people. Because then, you know, when uh, the facts started to, the evidence started to be collected, and you see people uh, dying, you see people. You know, of course, you have to reconsider your your initial attitude. This is exactly what happened at the very beginning. I think in Italy, there was a big group of people saying, it's just a few, you know, we will cope with that. And then we started seeing the reality and then we started realizing that it was important to act. And at that point, I must say that the government was, uh, you know, was relatively quick yeah. in, in, be, in, in putting in place some, uh, some strict measures. Of course, uh, when you have to make decisions about putting in place strict measures, there is a trade-off between, uh, you know, economic interests and, uh, you know, the health of people. So overall, uh, and maybe I'm a little bit uh, idealistic in this, I think that uh, after we will solve all this, this issue, this crisis, hopefully with uh, not too many farther people lives, without sacrificing too many p- people lives more, we will have a kind of um, renaissance in the world. I would say a digital maybe renaissance. Because we will have the chance there by then to appreciate more life, to appreciate uh, more uh, kind of behavior that are resp- socially responsible, that respects the environment, that respects uh, society. And probably, I mean, if we take as humanity that opportunity, I really think that uh, the entire world could be in a new renaissance phase, stage, uh, where we can rethink and build new ecosystems. Of course, that will be costly because uh, every country will suffer from serious costs and we will have to work hard to, to pursue that. But uh, I'm very, very optimistic that we can do that. And so I like to think about this coronavirus as uh, an important threat to humanity that happened, but that also offered to humanity the opportunity to uh, generate this renaissance.
2: Indeed, comforting perspectives of you both, I think, here in bringing forward also the potential lessons and the reasons that this might be happening to us all. Uh, Hopefully, as you said, um, Alfredo, without us in any way or any shape or form diminishing, of course, a huge emotional toll this has taken, a lot of people losing family members that we very much sympathize with. And we hope that through by acting responsibly and self-isolating and separating ourselves from other social gatherings, that we can do our part in not afflicting more people. At this level, I would love to thank you both for taking the time in a, what is, ironically, a very busy time, I think, for most of us. Weirdly enough, uh, like you, you think not going into the office would ease <laughs> the tension, but it doesn't. So it feels like we're working more than ever before. Um, thank you very much, both of you, for sharing your perspectives. You. I know that you, you, you both have resources to share that we'll be uh, linking. Below this episode, as well, that you think are important for people to know about, important for people to educate themselves. Thank you both uh, very much for your contribution.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.